Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, where my Bible is opened up, and I will make things very easy on you this morning. If you'll find a Bible and turn it to 1 Samuel 17, we'll just be there the whole time. We won't be flipping around and looking at all kinds of other passages. We're just going to work within this text for the next several minutes in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. And as you're turning there, I will echo the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this morning. Got a great number in attendance, and we're just really thankful and excited that you're here. I'm encouraged by your presence, and I know I speak for uh, the rest of the members here. We're very delighted to have a number of guests with us, and we appreciate so much your being with us. And if we haven't had a chance to meet you or talk to you and get to know you a little bit, stick around after the final amen is said, and let us shake your hand, and thank you for being here in person. We are coming off a very encouraging week, as Adam alluded to in the prayer, with the lessons that were presented during our gospel meeting. Mark McCray preached to us about the subject of service. And I'd actually like to piggyback on some of those ideas, particularly the lesson that he presented on Monday night about being a servant of the church, a servant in the Lord's people to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'd like to present some ideas of my own. And I want to develop those ideas today from 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. I'm going to rip off 11 verses right here at the top. Read with me if you will. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. and They were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Ezekah and Ephesdama. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and they were encamped in the valley of Elah. They drew up in a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield-bearer went before him. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for the battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now this is probably the most famous story in the life of David. It is arguably one of the most famous stories in all of the Old Testament. Even people who don't know anything about the Bible, they know this story. They know the story of David and Goliath. In fact, David and Goliath has kind of just become a metaphor that people just use today, particularly in sports. When an underdog team is going up a really big top team and they upset them, what are the commentators they say? They say it's a David and Goliath upset. People know about David and Goliath. But what many people do not know about this story are the verses that are in the middle of this great chapter. Everybody knows those beginning verses that talks about Goliath and about how big he was and how strong he was. And everybody knows about the end of this chapter where, spoiler alert, David wins. Everybody knows all of that. But most people don't know about the stuff that's going on in that middle section, which means that many people don't know how hard it was for David to actually get into this battle. 
Most people don't know about the obstacles and the challenges that David had to face to get from verse 12 down to verse 50. And surprisingly, the obstacles that David had to face in that section, they didn't come from Goliath. Those obstacles didn't come from the Philistines. Rather, rather those obstacles came from David's own brethren. That's right, over and over again throughout this chapter, David is going to say, hey, I want to do this. I want to go fight that guy. I want to take care of this big monster. And over and over again, his own Israelite brethren are going to say, you can't. You're not able. You shouldn't. You won't. In fact, if it wasn't for all the opposition from his own brethren, 1 Samuel 17 would actually be a lot shorter and Goliath would be dead a whole lot sooner. But when David made the decision to get involved, that's when seemingly the friction started. And that's exactly what I want us to think about for the next few minutes this morning. Because I want to talk about the story of David and Goliath. And I want to talk about it from the angle that very rarely do we talk about it from. I want to talk about it from the understanding of what happens whenever someone chooses to be like David, and that is to get involved in the work of God. We are talking this year, our preaching theme here at Lakeside for 2019 is the idea of growing and increasing in the Lord. And if we are going to grow as disciples, then a big part of that is going to have to be increasing, ratcheting up our efforts in the kingdom of God. Because as we just sang in that song a moment ago, there is much to do. There is work on every hand. There is always going to be a need for more folks to be more involved in the work of the kingdom. Whether that's serving within the various capacities within the assembly, whether that's leading in worship, maybe that's teaching a Bible class, or maybe that means being more involved in the work that goes on outside of these assemblies, being evangelistic in the community, visiting the sick and visiting the shut-in. There's all kinds of work that needs to be done. And the Lord's always looking for more volunteers, more involvement in getting that work done. And yet even as I say that, you should know that when you make the decision to get up off of the bench and to get yourself in the game, there's just a whole lot that's going to stand in your way. That's a whole lot easier said than done. Hey, put me in, coach. Well, there's going to be some obstacles you're going to have to work through. Just like David, you're going to be met with some opposition. You're going to be met with some challenges that may in fact prevent you from fully participating in the life of this church and in the work of the kingdom. This morning I want to use 1 Samuel the 17th chapter to just highlight and identify some of those obstacles. And then at the end I'm going to give you the formula. The formula that David uses and that David demonstrates in his own life that I believe is a guaranteed way to make sure that you are always abounding in the work of the Lord. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Are you ready for that? Let's read a little bit further here in the text. In 1 Samuel 17, let's pick up here. In verse 17, we know this story, I think, from kind of the big picture, but we don't really know all the specifics here. So let's look at some of those specifics. Let's look at where David kind of finally enters into the story. Verse 14 says that David is the youngest of Jesse's sons. That's a little bit of information about him. And in fact, his father does send him to the battle. Verse 17 now. Verse 17 says that Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take to the camp, or also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands, 
and see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel, they were in the valley of Elah. They were fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and he left the sheep with the keeper and he took the provisions and he went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines, they drew up for battle army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. He ran to the ranks and he went and he greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, he came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and he spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now, there's a lot going on there, but at this point, we actually don't know a whole lot about David. We know that he's obedient to his father. We know from chapter 16, though, probably most importantly, that God has singled him out. God has chosen him because he is a man after his own heart. And so even with just that little bit of information, what I'm expecting is that when David sees Goliath come out and he's uttering all this stuff, David isn't going to take this sitting down. David's going to do something. I I see this guy as a doer, and in fact he does. Verse 24, All the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him, and they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David said to the men, verse 26, He said, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? But you, I just like the way David talks about this, don't you? This guy's coming, he's defying God. He's speaking against Almighty Jehovah. We can't stand for this. We do something about this. Somebody, me, I'm going to do something about this. Watch it now, verse 28. Now Eliab, David's eldest brother, he heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said... Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption, and I know the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And there it is. David suggests, hey, I want to do something. I want to get involved, and I'm here to tell you, that when you make that same determination to get involved and to do something for the Lord, then what's going to happen is, is you're going to have folks who are going to criticize you for trying. That's what's going on here with David. His older brother Eliab criticizes him for his desire to get in the game and to try. I want you to note that Eliab does not say, you know what, David? Good for you. I believe in you, buddy. You can do this. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be right here for you. I'll be behind you. God is going to bless your efforts. No, there's there's none of that. There's no encouragement of any kind. Instead, Eliab criticizes David. And even worse, he seems to attack David's very motives. Did you notice that? Did you notice that Eliab is apparently a mind reader? Verse 28, he says, I know what you're thinking. I know the evil of your heart. I know that all you're wanting to do, you just come out here to see a show. You just came out here to see the spectacle of the battle. That's why you're down here. You just came here to just, just kind of catch a glimpse of things. I'm here to say this morning that if you increase your involvement in the work of the kingdom, in the work of this local church, then I think you can possibly expect this same kind of criticism from time to time. Maybe, for example, you start asking about, hey, there, 
Josh had been saying something. There's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board about I need some fill-in preachers for some dates that he's away later this year. And I'm kind of thinking about signing my name up on it. I think about preaching one time. Well, you better be ready as soon as you do that. Somebody's going to say, you preach? <laughs> Hold on there. Okay. Yeah, we need some fill-in preachers, but I don't think he meant you. You can somebody like you? Or maybe you try to stretch yourself out and try to do, do something else that you've maybe never done before. Maybe you decide you're going to try to lead a song tonight, singing night. Great time to try that. You're going to try to lead a song on singing night. Maybe you decide you're going to try to organize a Bible study at your home. You've never had people over in your home to have a Bible study before. You're going to try to do that. Somebody's going to say, oh, I know why you're doing that. You're just doing that because you want people's attention. You want people to think you're something great. You want people to think you're so spiritual or you're so talented. That's why you're doing that. Or somebody's going to say, hey, I know why you're teaching that little kid's Bible class. It's because your kid is in there. That's the only reason you're teaching that Bible class. That's the only reason you're even volunteering. If you step up and you say, hey, here am I, send me. I'll help. I'll give it a try. I'm willing to do that. Somebody is going to misread your motives and they're going to criticize your efforts. Men, if you say, hey, one day I'd like to be an elder in the Lord's church. You know, we've been studying about that and talking about that for several months. And I desire one day to serve as a shepherd. As soon as you vocalize those words out of your mouth, somebody's going to say, "Ah, I know why you want to be an elder. You just want to be in charge. You just want to tell people what to do. You want to be able to throw your weight around here. That's why you're doing that. You step up. Your character will be called into question. Your actions and your motives, they will be impugned. And you know what? That hurts. I think even if just for a moment it had to sting when David heard those words from his older brother. Probably somebody he looked up to growing up. And it hurts when people say that. It hurts when somebody attributes bad motives or when somebody accuses us of trying to exalt ourselves. That kind of thing is discouraging. That kind of thing is it's disappointing. But would you notice how David responds to that? I think this is the best thing about it all. In verse 29, listen to David's response and then notice what he does. Verse 29... David said to his brother, he said, well, well, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? In other words, can I not just ask a question? Verse 30, and David turned away from him. I love that. David turned away. You just can't sit and listen to that kind of criticism. People who have already made up their mind that they're just going to think the worst out of their brethren, People who do not give people credit for trying and putting forth an effort. People who cannot accept that, you know what, somebody may volunteer, somebody may step up. Simply because they love the Lord, those people who think those thoughts, David shows us that they're not worth your time. Don't try to debate them. Don't try to prove them wrong. Don't try to explain to them why your motives are pure. Just turn away and move on. And it is a shame. That there are, in some churches, there are modern day Eliabs. But we ain't got time for that. We don't have time for their pessimism and their skepticism. Just turn away and just get on with doing the Lord's work. Get on with doing what you know the Lord wants you to do. Now I wish I could tell you that as soon as David turned away from his brother, he was able to just go directly into battle and he was able to slay Goliath. But, but it didn't happen that way. 
Instead, we're told, verse 31, that David faces another obstacle. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them to Saul, that's the king, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant, me, I will go and I'll fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. Right there. Right there. You decide to get more involved in the work of the kingdom. Somebody's going to be right there. And somebody is just going to flat out say, no, I'm sorry. You just can't do that. You can't. You are not able. Yep, that needs to be done. Somebody needs to do it. But you're not the guy to do it. Or you're not the girl to do it. You are not Abel, Saul's reaction to David's zeal and David's fervor is to say, are you kidding me? You are too young. You are too small. You are too inexperienced. You are ill-equipped to do this. And the truth of the matter is, if you know anything about King Saul, then we shouldn't expect anything different from him. The book of 1 Samuel, the more that I study it, the more I am convinced that really this entire book is designed to contrast the faith and the faithfulness of David and the cowardice and the lack of courage exhibited by Saul. If you were to read chapters 14 and 15, those really kind of provide the first glimpses into Saul's spineless character. But in fact, here in chapter 17, we've actually already seen some evidence of that as well. Would you look at verse 11 again? Back up to verse 11. Notice it says, When Saul... And all of Israel heard the words of Goliath, they were greatly afraid. Notice how Saul is singled out there. He's quivering in his boots at Goliath. Saul was the king. He should have been the man who was going to stand up and he was going to lead the charge against Goliath. And yet, look at verse 25 again. Verse 25, the king is going to enrich the man who will slay Goliath. What? The king is going to pay a guy to do the work that he ought to be doing? What in the, what, what is wrong with him? You are the king. You are God's anointed man to lead the people and to say, hey, I'm going to go out there and fight the Philistines. No, that's that's not Saul. That's not his MO. Time and time again, Saul is on the sidelines, cowardly doing nothing. You need to realize that when you try to do more, and when you try to be more in the kingdom of God, then the folks like Saul who are on the sidelines doing nothing, they're going to be the first ones to speak up and say, you can't do it. Not you. It won't work. We've never done it that way before. You're not the right choice. What makes you think you're the right person for the job? You better not do that. And in fact, what else would we expect from people who are sitting on the sidelines doing nothing? Those people are certainly not going to speak up and say, oh yes, this is right. This is good. This is what God wants. This is what God says people need to be doing. And this is what we ought to be doing. But I'm too cowardly. And I'm too lazy. And I'm too faithless. So I'm not going to do it. They're not going to say that. They're not going to admit that out loud. And so instead, when they do speak up, what are they going to say? Well, they're going to say these kinds of things. They're going to say the kinds of things that are designed to tear people down. Because they themselves don't ever intend to escalate and to reach up to a higher level. They're trying to bring people down to their level. They're going to say, you're not able. Now I want to pause right here. And I want to issue a very important caveat. 
I want you to understand that when David is accused here by Saul of lacking ability, boy, you're just not able. You just don't have the ability. It is important to note that that actually was not true. Would you rejoin the reading? Look in verse 34 now. In verse 34, David's response to Saul, he says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, and I struck him, and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. Your servant, me, I have struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine, he will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I want you to underline those passages in your mind. Because sometimes there are Christians who get really excited about doing something for the Lord, being involved in the Lord's work. And they decide that they're going to step up and they're going to do something. But then they end up going off in a direction for which they are totally unprepared and for which they are entirely ill-equipped to do. And When they jump into that headlong in that way, things many times don't go very well. Take for example, here's somebody who's a new convert. They come up just right out of the baptistry and man, they're on fire! They're just ready to go! And they're so zealous, and man, you just wish you could bottle some of that up and just do everybody have a little bit of that. You appreciate that about them. But as soon as they come out of that water, they're just excited and they're just determined, you know what? I'm going to go preach the gospel in outer Mongolia. Whoa! Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on there just a second. Have you ever preached before? Well, no. Do you speak Mongolian? No. Do you even know where Outer Mongolia is? Well, I'll look it up on Google Maps. We've got all kinds of people that probably think, I can do this, I'm going to do this, the Lord's going to help me to do that. But look at David here. David is not volunteering for just every random assignment that comes forward for which he has no discernible abilities and no discernible experience. No. David says, this job, I can do this. I know that I can do this. Don't tell me that I can't do this because I have the skills to do this. I can fight. In fact, let me tell you about the lions and the bears that I fought. I've been doing that for years now and I know the Lord was with me then and I know the Lord will be with me in this fight as well. And so I say all of that to let you know that I don't want anybody to leave here today thinking that I'm advocating the idea of, hey, you're a Christian and you need to be more involved, so you need to just jump headlong into any and every job that seeks, that, 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 that provides and presents itself to you. And that as long as you have, you know, kind of a go get them attitude that, well, God's just always going to make it work, or at the very least, God's going to clean up the mess that you make afterward. That's not what I'm saying. David was not some starry eyed kid who just blundered out onto the battlefield without a clue because he was operating with some kind of blind faith. No, David had a plan. And David had skills. He had been in scrapes like this before. And so God used and God blessed those abilities. In fact, did you notice? Look at verse 37 again. Saul is so impressed with the case that David presents here, Saul ends up kind of doing a little bit of a 180. Saul then says, then go. 
Go and the Lord be with you. David, at least momentarily, was able to win over one of his critics. I'm saying to you this morning that even if you do have ability, and even if you do have that go get them zeal and fire to do some stuff and be involved in the Lord's work, I'm saying to you this morning, don't be surprised when you are still opposed by the souls of this world. Don't be surprised when even sometimes, maybe even amongst your own brethren, that there are naysayers, and in fact there are never-doers. There are, even amongst God's people, there are idle people, there are people who never have, and in fact they just never will. They will discourage, they will disparage, they'll do that even despite your ability. But as a wiser old brother once told me years ago, we cannot be stopped by people who are already stopped. Amen? I think amen indeed. If you don't want to grow, and if you don't want to make progress as a disciple, then that's on you, Brother Saul. That's on you, Sister Saul. But as for me, I'm going to put my talents, and I'm going to put my skills to work in the service of the Lord. That was the determination that David had. Which brings us now to the moment. This is the battle scene. In verse 38, Saul attempts to clothe David with his armor. That's just not going to work. There's just, you can't be doing that. And so verse 40 then says that David took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in his shepherd's pouch. And his sling was in his hand. He approached the Philistine. Now watch how this works. Because it's not going to take very long at all for Goliath to remind David, Son, you are way in over your head. Verse 41, the Philistine moved forward. He came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and he saw David, he disdained him. He was but a youth, ruddy, handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. You know, the text doesn't tell us everything about tone or about all the emotions that the people feel. But I often wonder if maybe in that moment, David slowly makes his way out. As Goliath is spouting all of his venom, I wonder if maybe David swallowed really hard in that moment. Because we're no longer talking about fighting Goliath. No, this is happening now. We're here. And while I'm sure that wrestling a lion or wrestling a bear, that that would help you to get at least somewhat prepared for this moment, it's still not exactly the same as a nine-foot-tall professional warrior who has tons of experience, who has the armor and the confidence to back it up. Goliath was born to squashed bugs just like David. So I wonder if David's heart was maybe just about to beat right out of his chest. I wonder if maybe he had some thoughts, even if they were just passing thoughts of, what am I doing? What have I agreed to here? This is crazy. Eliab was right. Saul was right. I can't do this. This morning, I'm not going to tell you that if you decide to get more involved, if you decide to stretch yourself and try to do some things that maybe you've never done before in the Lord's work, I'm not going to tell you that there's never going to be a lump in your throat. 
That you're never going to get butterflies welling up in your stomach? Because if I told you that, it would be a lie. Because any time that we get out of our comfort zone, any time that we try to, to push ourselves and to stretch ourselves, any time we try to do something that maybe we've never tried before, then we may have to overcome that big, and in many cases the most difficult obstacle of all, and that is, that is ourself. Sometimes the loudest, most vocal critic may be that one who resides in your own head, and you may in fact start doubting yourself. For example... Maybe you do want to try your hand at teaching a Bible class. We are always glad to have more Bible class teachers. But instead of just kind of jumping into that with both feet, all right, we're going to, we're going to ease you into that. Maybe we'll help you to kind of build and develop that. Maybe we'll start by just putting you in a class and having you be a helper with a teacher. And then maybe as time goes on, maybe you and that experienced teacher, now maybe you're kind of doing some co-teaching. They're kind of sitting to the side, letting you have a hand a little bit. And then eventually it gets to a point where that experienced teacher kind of just, kind of just sits in the back seat altogether and just kind of, just kind of lets you fly. And they're there kind of still serving as a safety net, but you're kind of taking it over. But you know what? Eventually, a day comes when you're going to be the teacher of that class. And now it is your Bible class. And you can mark it down, it's probably going to be a day where every single one of the lakeside kids are going to be present in class that day. And we're going to have like five visiting kids, they're going to come into class that day too. And for whatever reason, it seems like every single one of those kids got jacked up on Mountain Dew before they came to class. And they're bouncing off the walls and everywhere. And you get ready to step in the door and you'll have that thought, Oh no! What have I agreed to? I'm not, I'm not capable to handle this. I can't do it. You'll have those thoughts. Or maybe there's a brother or a sister who has drifted away from the Lord. Or maybe there's just some sin in their life. And you recognize, I, I need to say something to them. I know it's my obligation to do that. I need to talk to them about their soul. I need to talk to them about the, the condition of the way that they're living. So finally one day, you kind of get it together and you do go and talk to them. And before you know it, You're knee-deep in a conversation where they're asking questions and they're throwing out arguments and you have the thought, I can't answer all these questions. I don't have a counter for all of these arguments. I I don't think I can handle this. This is more than I'm able to handle. Or maybe you're a young man. You're trying to work yourself up to a point where you're going to take a part leading in the worship service. And while the thought of being the wingman out here on the Lord's table or saying a short prayer at the table, or reading Scripture on Wednesday night, at least at first glance, that doesn't seem all that scary. When you finally get up, you're standing in front of 125, 130 people, and all those sets of eyes are looking directly at you, your knees will begin to knock, your voice will begin to crack and to quiver, and you'll start telling yourself, this is nuts! Why, why, why did I agree to this? What am I doing here? What have I got myself into? In 1 Samuel 17, verse 44, David, he's in it. There's no backing out now. And while, yes, he is far away from the criticism of Eliab and Saul and all of the others, he is still left to the thoughts that may have been swirling around in his own head. And now he has to conquer himself. Now he has to conquer his own thoughts and maybe his own doubts. Goliath is more than enough to cause a man to have some doubts. And Goliath doesn't even need to say a word. Just look at him. But on top of Goliath, his imposing figure, Goliath is using some words. He's using a lot of words 
He's saying, come over here, boy. I'm going to kill you. So David now has to decide. He has to make the decision. Am I going to run and do the comfortable thing? I'm going to go run and I'm going to hide under the bench with Saul and all of the other cowards? Or am I going to step out in faith and do the work of God? You know how the story goes. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. David was victorious. He conquered his opposition prior to the battle. He conquered himself prior to the battle. And he conquered the giant in battle. Do you see how David was able to do that? Do you see the necessary ingredients? David worked this little formula that I am convinced that if you are going to be involved in God's work, if you're going to increase your involvement in God's work here at Lakeside, then you're going to have to work this formula as well. First and foremost, you're going to have to gather your courage. David, you will recognize, David did not stand around and wait until a more convenient, a more opportune situation come along. He did not wait for a moment when, okay, let's wait for all the tension to die down and then I'll go. David didn't wait for, let me see if we can do something that would require a lot less risk. No, that's not how David approached things. In the face of tremendous adversity, he mustered his courage. If you're going to be involved in the Lord's work, you will. You'll have to be brave. You'll have to be bold. You'll have to determine, I'm going to do this even if it is a little bit frightening. And then, then you're going to need to develop your skills. Everybody, I am convinced, has some kind of talent, some kind of ability. Mark closed Wednesday night with that lesson on doing what you can do, talking about the parable of the talents. Maybe you are just a one-talent man. Maybe you are a five-talent man. What you need to do is you need to take that ability or abilities and you need to cultivate that. You need to train that. You need to grow that. Maybe get some mentoring for that. I mentioned a moment ago about the idea of kind of tag-teaming a Bible class with maybe somebody who's a little bit more experienced. Do that. Get some on-the-job training there. Maybe if you're wanting to lead a song, you just need a little bit of help with that. Get with Rick. Get with Stuart. Get with some of these other guys that know a lot about music and help you and guide you in that. Do you remember last summer when Cain did the summer preaching training with us? Cain is the one who came to us. And he asked for the opportunity to do that and to have that summer. You know why he did that? Because he wanted to develop his skills. He wanted to develop his abilities for greater service in the kingdom. Let's do that. Let's develop our skills. Let's look for some lions. Let's look for some bears to kill so that then we're better equipped to go and take on some Goliaths. Because thirdly, and most importantly of all, in fact, none of this works without this third component. And that is, you're going to need to exercise your faith in the Lord. As we read David's response there, beginning in verse 45, did you notice the emphasis over and over and over again on God? 
David really doesn't say anything about his own ability. He had some ability. But that's not what David's touting. Look at verse 45 again. He says, the Lord, the, the mighty God of hosts, He is going to deliver you into my hands. Verse 46. He's going to do that. I come to you in the name of the Lord. The Lord will deliver you in my hands. The end of verse 46. Everybody's going to know that there is a God in Israel. And then verse 47. It is the Lord who saves. The battle belongs to the Lord. Over and over again, David just trumpets his extraordinary faith and trust in the God of heaven. It's about what God can do. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, what David shows us is that God can use that kind of faith to accomplish great things to His glory. When you put all that together, courage, some ability, faith in the Lord, you really have a great combination that is able to make a huge difference in the Lord's kingdom and you can be involved just like David was so long ago. And so yes, maybe this is the most famous event in the life of David and quite possibly it is one of the most famous stories in all of the Old Testament. But it's those details in the middle that often get overlooked that I think are able to admonish us the most. They teach us and they encourage us in a great number of ways. Because indeed, there is much to do. There is work on every hand. David's example in this chapter shows us how to get involved and to be doing that important work. To push beyond the critics, to push beyond the complainers, and to even push beyond our own self-doubt. Because with courage and with skill and with great trust in God, we can possess that here am I, send me mentality that results, I believe, always in God-blessed success, not only in this local church, but in God's kingdom as a whole. Now perhaps there's somebody here this morning who needs to get involved in some kingdom work, but maybe there's a hindrance, maybe there's an obstacle for you, and that obstacle is the fact that, well, it's the fact that you're not in the kingdom. You can't really be doing kingdom work if you're not a citizen in the kingdom, not a member of the household of God. You can correct that this morning. The opportunity is yours. The Lord has been very gracious to give you this moment. All things are ready for that to change. You can become a part of God's family. And I'm not going to tell you this morning that stepping out in faith and confessing Jesus before others and repenting and turning from sin and being buried with Christ in baptism, that that's not a little bit frightening because, because it is a little bit frightening. But I will say to you that if you will muster your courage Enough to step out from behind that pew and to walk down this aisle when we sing this song and to say, I'm ready, I want and I need to become a Christian, then it would indeed be our privilege to help and assist you being added to the body of Christ today. You can then join the rest of us as a child of God, as a saved person. You can join the rest of us helping one another as we try to do the Lord's work in this community and throughout the world. Do all of that in preparation for eternity. I think about that song, we'll work till Jesus comes, and then we'll be gathered home. Would you like to join us in that work? It's the greatest work of all. If we can assist you in doing that, or maybe brother or sister, we can assist you in some way to serve the Lord in a better way from this day on, and whatever your need may be, you simply need to make that known. Do that by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.